Amen. Amen. It's been a long journey since Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, but here Jesus is wrapping up his Sermon on the Mount. He's here wrapping it up, and he's closing it with a few different warnings. If you remember, last week he warned us about just judging people with a critical heart and attitude. Then he warned us not to go into one end of the spectrum where we're just accepting everyone and anyone that says, Jesus, Jesus, and Lord, Lord, and I'm a prophet, or I'm an apostle, or I am such and such. But instead, he tells us to beware of the fruits. He's closing up the sermon with a few warnings. In verse 13 through 14, he encouraged us, first and foremost, to enter through the narrow gate. Because the way that leads to life and life everlasting is through the narrow gate. And the path that is along and through that narrow gate is narrow and difficult. But it's the only path that leads to life and life everlasting. In verses 15 through 20, he warned us about false teachers, that we are to pay attention to their diet. If you come to a church and it seems like the pastor's favorite meal is lamb kebabs or lamb chops or lamb lollipops, be careful. He is a false teacher. We are also to pay attention to the fruit of their life and of their ministry. Is it the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Is it the fruit of love? Or is it simply the fruits of the flesh? Now, in verses 21 through 23, we are going to see a mix taken from each and every one of these sections. There are many paths that lead to destruction, and there are many, we're going to see this word many, on those that do not realize they are headed towards death. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Many will say, Lord, Lord, we did this, that, and the third for you, but Jesus will not allow them to enter into heaven because they did not know him. A couple of scriptures give us a bit more background to this. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we see Paul, a giant in the faith, warning his son in the faith, who's teaching and pastoring a church in Ephesus. He warns him in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Paul tells Timothy, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God has created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 3.13, a similar warning. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And here what Paul's warning us is, number one, make sure that you are not being deceived. Don't think just because you know who Jesus is, you have the right knowledge or you have the right name that you're entering into heaven. And then he also warns us that we're not being deceived by a false prophet, a false teacher. But then he's also warning the false prophets and false teachers that they will deceive themselves, thinking that they're working on behalf of the Lord. One last scripture on this, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 through 15. We can think of Jesus, how he told us that there'd be wolves 
in sheep's clothing. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13, Paul says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Oftentimes we think that Satan tempts us as this huge evil boogeyman. Yesterday we were watching this cartoon. It, it was okay. The, the, the subject is amazing, but the production value was so-so. Uh, but it was the Pilgrim's Progress. It was made in 2019. And they show Apollyon, who is Satan, as this evil-looking, ginormous demon creature. And my four-year-old says, man, he's scary. And I literally told him, yes, sometimes he appears to us like that. But more often than not, he will tempt us as that angel of light. So here I believe Jesus is here warning those on the path to destruction who may not even realize that they are on the path towards destruction. We have false teachers, which nobody ever thinks are false teacher. But then we have the, the, those that are more frightening. We have false believers and false professors. Now, a false professor, it's not the person that's in your college or university that's teaching a class on falseism. It's those that are professing Lord, Lord, but it is a false profession. We've said it for centuries. Actually, I don't know who's the first person that ever said it, but we all agree. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Whenever you're working on something, whenever you're dealing with something, buying and selling, a trading of goods, a trading of love or of trust, you're purchasing a car, that car salesman is going to say all sorts of things, right? But talk is cheap. When you're entering into a relationship, a marriage, a business deal, you're hiring someone to work on your house, we'll finish it in three weeks, don't worry. Talk is cheap. Remember, Judas was called a disciple for three years. Jesus was just as close as anyone could ever be to Jesus Christ for three years. And watch Judas' speech with his last interaction with Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 14, verse 44, it tells us, Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and he said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he kissed him. In the King James Version, it says, Master, Master, and he kissed him. Just because we know who Jesus is does not mean that we have a relationship with him or that he knows us intimately. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 47, this same foretelling of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. And we'll see that last parable at the end of the chapter. Are we calling out, Lord, Lord, and yet we're not doing what his word says? 
That's a great warning to us. You could have sung every lyric here this morning and beautiful lyrics, truthful lyrics, accurate lyrics. But if you are not doing the things which Jesus has said, he's not your Lord. He's not your master. Scripturally, Jesus is the one in charge of the gates of heaven. Though many jokes talk about St. Peter, right, or Peter being there at the, the pearly gates, Jesus is the one who has the keys to heaven and the keys to hell. And we've already read through a few portions of scripture where Jesus is the one first and foremost saying, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, and then he will say to them, depart from me. We have to all recognize and realize whether we like it or not, heaven is guarded and kept under lock and key by none other than Jesus Christ himself. The one who died for us, the one who resurrected for us, the one who lived a perfect life and humbled himself not only for us, but for all of humanity. And what will it be like in that day? Those that mocked him, those that refused him, those that pushed him away for decades and centuries when they have to come face to face with the one they mocked or always disobeyed. And yet he's the one in charge of heaven. We know that Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. But we need to bow and confess on this side of death. If we don't confess on this side of death, if we don't bow the knee of our will to the will of Christ, there is no entrance into heaven. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Jesus Christ will judge each and every one of us. First and foremost, do you know him? Does he know you? And then there'll be a separate judgment based on your works. What did you do with your life's work? All of our life's work, all of those hours on social media, they're going to be sitting there on the judgment seat. All of those hours on YouTube or on TV shows, binge watching, whatever TV show for God knows how long, right? That's going to be there on that judgment seat. And only what is eternal and done for Christ will remain for there. Jesus, he will judge all of humanity. And once again, he's warning us, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20 tells us, The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. The kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power. Let's turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 18. This has always been one of my favorite portions of Scripture. James chapter 2, verse 18. And here James is warning us of a demonic faith. There's a demonic faith in Jesus Christ out there. And I hope none of us have that demonic faith. James chapter 2, verse 18 it says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. 
You believe that there is one God and you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? It's not enough to just declare, Lord, Lord. It's not enough to have the right theology or the proper intellectual knowledge of Scripture. We have to have this work attached to our faith. It's been said, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. There will be works attached to it. Having the proper profession, Lord, Lord, teacher, teacher, rabbi, rabbi, will not save you. Having the right intellectual knowledge, there's only one God, Jesus is Lord, that will not save you. Having love for Jesus Christ and an intimate relationship with Him, this is what saves you. And that love will be demonstrated through obedience to the Word of God. John Trapp, he says, this warning of Jesus applies to people who say, Lord, Lord, and yet their spiritual life has nothing to do with their daily life. They go to church, perhaps fulfill some daily religious duties, and yet sin against God and man just as any other person might. There are those who speak like angels and yet live like devils that have Jacob's smooth tongue, but Esau's rough hands. We need to not only be hearers of his word or speakers of his word, we need to be doers of, your, of his word. That's exactly what Jesus tells us in John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 13, he says, You call me teacher and Lord, rabbi and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. Jesus knows who he is. Jesus is secure in, in who he is. But then he says in verse 14, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's all about following his example and doing what he has said in his word. It is not those who say, Lord, Lord, that gain entrance into heaven. But Jesus said, it is he who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's not about what our mouth says. It's all about what does your life have to say. What does your life have to say? As Jesus said it, what does the fruit of your life look like? It will reveal if you're a good tree or an evil tree. It will reveal if you are a bona fide and saved tree or if you are a tree that's on its way towards hell. At the end of the day, a great question is, whose will are you accomplishing? Whose will are you accomplishing? Are you accomplishing your own will? Your own desires? 
your own plan, or are you accomplishing the will of our Father in heaven? It is only those who are doing the will of the Father that are entering into heaven. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we see these themes all throughout the New Testament. It's not just about word. It's not just about works. It's not just about knowledge. It's not about a lot of things. It is just being devoted into this walk and relationship and love with Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. It says, But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, because you are not your own, Because you've been purchased, because you've been freed, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Family, dead religion just tells us all the things we are not to do. Dead religion says, don't do this and 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 and then you'll get to heaven. The question is, are we glorifying God in our body and in our spirit? What are we doing for the kingdom of heaven? Are we being obedient to the will of God? Those who truly belong to God know that their life is not their own. Our lives need to belong to God. And if they don't, if my life still belongs to me and my will, then he is not Lord of all. He's not Lord of my life. We cannot say Lord, Lord and disobey him. It does not work that way. And it's difficult to sometimes rely on the will of God. Other times, it's, it's a complete joy and blessing. But when we go through financial heartache, and we've done everything proper and right, and we're just being robbed or stolen, dealt with incorrectly, it's hard to trust in the will of God. When you're dealing with unfair people, unreasonable people, wicked people, and you're having to trust and rely in the word of God and in the will of God, it is difficult. And the greatest test is when it's God's will for us to go from this life to the next. That is the great test if God truly is Lord. When you know you are going to die, how will you react? How will you respond? You have this great fear of death because if we are fully trusting in the will of God, we know it's far greater to be dead in this life and alive in eternity in God's will than to be alive in this life out of the will of God. We can go back to Matthew 7, now in verse 22. In verse 21, we just had those that professed, Lord, Lord, but yet they were not doing the will of the Father. I believe verse 22 and 23, they warn us of what exactly is the will of the Father. Jesus says, many, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. 
So Jesus has warned us, profession and knowledge does not save. And here he's warning us that works, even supernatural works, even great spiritual works, do not save either. Remember, there are many on the wide and broad path that lead to destruction. And here the saying is true. Many will say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. So I think we can conclude that the will of the Father is a lot more than just great supernatural or spiritual works. Charles Spurgeon says, not talking, but doing. Not a loud profession, but a quiet, practical godliness wins the day. Does your life, does the fruit of your life have that practical godliness day in and day out? He continues, he says, if preaching could save a man, Judas would not have been damned. If prophesying could save a man, then Balaam would not have been a castaway. Sometimes we read this scripture and we say, man, I've never cast a demon out of someone before. I've never prophesied over someone. I've never done a wonder in the name of Jesus. How am I going to be able to get into heaven? And once again, it is not just about miracles and signs and wonders. Judas himself, he's a part of the disciples that Jesus gave power to go out and do miracles. To heal the sick, to give sight to the blind, to expel demons from people. And yet Judas was not saved. The Antichrist, he's going to come back from the dead and accomplish many miracles. Read Revelation 13. We know Balaam, he spoke the very word of God and prophesied over Israel. We know King Saul, the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied. And in the next chapter, he's trying to kill David, murder David once again. It is not about signs and wonders. We also need to remember and realize not all great spiritual power is from God. And spiritual power is not a part of the fruit that we are looking for in a true believer. Oftentimes we see someone and they have a large ministry. Perhaps they're a great preacher. They're a great teacher. Just because someone's a great preacher or teacher, that does not even mean that they have this walk and relationship with Jesus Christ. We can go to a familiar scripture, 1 Corinthians 13. And I believe this unpacks this portion that for some of us is just so difficult to understand. How could someone prophesy in the name of Jesus and not be saved? How could someone expel demons in the name of Jesus Christ and not be saved? How could someone do signs and wonders and miracles in the name of Jesus and not be saved? 1 Corinthians 13 Verse 1 through 3, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing." And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. These two scriptures, they're lining up one right with another. Tongues, 
prophecy, great understanding, great faith, giving all of our goods to feed the poor, dying for the cause of Christ, but not having the true agape love, which can only come from Jesus Christ, profits us nothing. What's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? It's love. If we are truly in Christ, if we know Him, love is going to be the primary fruit that comes out of us. So husbands that are here and are saved, would your wife say you exude the agape love of Jesus Christ? For all the wives here, would your husband say you exude the agape love of Jesus Christ? Parents to children, children to parents, is the fruit of our life this agape love that can only be given to us in and through the Holy Spirit. It's not about what we say. It's not about what you do. It's all about who you know. And more importantly, who knows you? Who knows you? Does Jesus know you? That's what we're gathering here in, in Matthew chapter 7. It's not about what you say. It's not about what you've done. It's all about does Jesus know you? Charles Spurgeon, he says, If Christ does not know us, it matters not what we do. Even if we work miracles, if we astound the world around us with our abilities, it is all nothing if Christ does not know us. Now I think there are many here who can humbly but confidently say, He knows me. He knows some of us if by nothing else, by our constantly begging of Him. We have been at him all day and night in our necessities, pleading for his bounty, his mercy, and his company. He cannot say that he does not know us. He knows a great deal about us, even through our prayers, if by no other way. I think there's so much power within prayer. And if we have a prayer life, I truly believe that's a demonstration that Jesus knows you. Because you're constantly talking to him. Whether it's just bringing your needs to him. He knows you. But if you have no prayer life. Besides. Rub dub dub. Thanks for the grub. Amen. If you have no other prayer life. Does Jesus really know you? Do you really know Jesus Christ? If you have no communication with him. How can you say that he knows you? And that you know him? Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, scary verse, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus is here saying, I never knew you. I never knew you as a friend. I never knew you intimately. I never heard from you. You were never obedient to my commands. I never knew knew you. And if Jesus does not know us, we do not gain entrance into heaven. First John gives us so many practical warnings here, and I'll just rattle these off for you. I'll have Joey or someone on the team put the notes up on the website later on. But First John 1.6, it says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, we say, hey, Jesus, I know you, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. 
But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. 1 John chapter 2, verse 9-11. through 11, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. One last scripture from the Apostle John, 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we, love, we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. There is a lot of, if you think you know God, if you think you're walking in the light, if you think Jesus knows you, but you're not being obedient to his word, if you're not living a life of holiness, and if you don't have a love for the body of Christ, if you have a hatred towards someone within the body of Christ, you don't know him. And if you don't know him, you're not going to heaven. We need to cultivate that love for his word and that love for him. And we cultivate that by reading his word and doing it. We also need to cultivate a love for the body of Christ. And if you never spend time with the body of Christ, how are you going to love them? Right? Hopefully if you're married here, you spend time with your spouse. Hopefully you don't have two separate addresses, two separate vacations, two separate cars, two separate everything. Hopefully that's not you. But if that's you, you're not going to have a love for one another. So if you're not spending time with the body of Christ, fellowshipping with more than just the people in your own home, how is that love for the body of Christ going to grow? Many people think that they're going to heaven and are saved, but many are not. Many will claim intimacy with Jesus Christ and truly knowing him, but Jesus here warns they do not. I encourage you. If you're feeling brave, just ask a random stranger. Hey, are you going to heaven when you die? I bet you more often than not, they're going to say, yes, of course I am. More often than not. Jesus, he warned us in Luke 13, if you want to turn there. Luke 13, verse 24 through 27. We see portions here of the Sermon on the Mount, Luke 13, verse 24. He says, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, Open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to say, an even more frightening portion of scripture, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. We taught, you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where you are, depart from me all you workers of iniquity. 
And I think there really is the key separator. Are we doing the will of the Father or are we a worker of iniquity? Are we workers of the Father or are we workers of iniquity? Are we workers of the fields owned by the Lord of the harvest or are we workers of iniquity? A gentleman by the name of Dr. Thomas Constable, he says, Obedience to the Father's will determines entrance into the kingdom, not professed admiration for Jesus. And this is a warning for many of the false gospels out there. You can think of the JWs. You can think of a bunch of different false gospels out there. They admire Jesus. He's a great prophet. He's a great man. He's a great philanthropist. But they don't see him as the son of God. A.W. Tozer, the Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience. Nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring from faith. The two are at the opposite sides of the same coin. Are we a worker of the will of the Father or are we a worker of iniquity? 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19 It says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If we truly belong to Jesus Christ, we are going to be departing from iniquity. We're going to be fleeing from youthful lusts. We're going to be cutting off anything that might cause us to sin because our life is under new ownership. It's not about what we like or what we feel or what we think. It's all about, Lord, what would you have me to do? David Guzik, he says, in the end, there is one basis of salvation. It isn't mere verbal confession, not spiritual works, but knowing Jesus Christ and being known by Him. It is our connection to Him by the gift of faith that He gives to us that secures our salvation. Connected to Jesus, we are secure. Without connection to Him, all the miracles and great works prove to be nothing. Friends, do you know Jesus? And more importantly, does Jesus know you? Does Jesus know you? That's the greatest question for all of eternity. Does Jesus know you? And I believe scripture gives us an assurance. We should have an assurance of faith. We're not to walk this life every day saying, oh my goodness, I hope he knows me. I hope he knows me. I hope when I say, Lord, Lord, I say it in the right way. So he says, yeah, man, you could come on in. It's, we have an assurance that we can know that we know that we know, hey, I know him. Do, do I fail? Do I mess up? Yes, but I'm doing my best to depart from iniquity. Do I, do I live a perfect life? No. Is my prayer life perfect? No, but I constantly am crying out to the Father. I'm crying out to Him. Does Jesus know you? We often say it to college graduates or those who are applying for a job. There are many people applying for a job that are overly qualified, but they don't know the person approving the application, Right? And if you know that person that's approving the application, if you're in good standing with them, if you know them and they don't like you, then it's not so good, right? But if you know them and they like you or your parent or a friend of a friend, it's all about who you know. Do you know Jesus and does Jesus know you? 
here's a lengthy quote, but Spurgeon says, Jesus will not express himself either passionately or in an angry manner, but in a stern, sad, and solemn tone, he said, I never knew you. Some will say, but we use thy name, good Lord. I know you did, but I never knew you, and you never truly knew me. I can almost imagine someone turning around in that day and saying to some Christians who used to sit in the same pew saying, you knew me. Yes, they will reply, we knew you, but that is of no avail, for the master did not know you. I can picture some of you crying out to your minister, pastor, did not you know us? Surely you recollect what we used to do at church. What can he reply? Ah, yes, sorrowfully do I own that I know you, but I cannot help you. It is only Christ's knowing you that can be of any avail to you. The end, there is one basis of salvation, and it's not in me. It is in knowing Jesus Christ and being known by him. Do you know Jesus Christ? It's not about you knowing me. It's not about you knowing the person next to you or people here at church. Do you know Jesus Christ? John chapter 15, verse 10 through 14, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love, agape love once again, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus has laid his life down for us. And now if our will is bending to his will, we're laying down our life saying, Lord, whatever you have, whatever you will, that's what I want. Finally, Jesus says in verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. It's all about obedience. Are you obeying God's word to the absolute best of your abilities? And when you fail, do you obey God's word in owning your sin and repenting, asking for forgiveness, knowing that he's just and faithful to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And if Jesus calls us friends, there's no doubt that he's going to say, hey, come on in. Come on in. Verse 24, Jesus closes the whole sermon with this analogy, with this parable. We have two builders. We have a great storm. We have winds and waves. And yet it's all about the foundation of these homes. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, The floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. He who hears these sayings of mine and does them. Obedience. 
You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Depart from me, workers of iniquity. You are not doing the will of my Father. It's all about obeying his word. Not out of religion or rules or rut, but out of love and obedience. 1 John 2 verse 17 tells us, The world is passing away and the lusts of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. He who's doing the will of the Father will abide forever. In Luke 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Hear God's word and keep it. We obey it. James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Just because you have a frequent flyer card here at Calvary Chapel, Miami, does not mean that you're getting into heaven. If you hear God's word, if you're eating tostadas every Sunday, God bless you. They're the best ones ever, right? But that's not enough to get into heaven. We need to hear his word and do it. Romans chapter 2, verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified, will be just as if they never sinned. Because justification is through Jesus Christ alone and faith in him alone. But if we're truly justified, then we're going to be obedient to his word. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. It's all about hearing his word and doing it. In verse 25 through 27, we see that storms and trials are promised. It's not if the rains descend, or if the storms come, or if the floods happen. No, it is when the rains descend. It is when the floods come. It's when the winds blow and beat on the house. Storms and trials are promised to everyone and anyone, no matter your age, and no matter who your master is. If you have the true master, or if your master is yourself, you follow your own will. If you're doing the will of the Father or if you're doing your own will, storms and trials are promised in this life. Everyone's going to go through it. Storms will come. Rain will descend. Floods will raise up against your house. And wind will blow and beat against the walls of your home. But the question is, what is your foundation? And depending what your foundation is, depending what your home and your life has been built on, your house will be standing during and after the storm. It's interesting. Both builders are hearing the word of God. Both builders are building a home. One guy even has oceanfront property, right? Right on the sand. They may look the same from the outside. One might even look nicer than the other. They might have both have attended church. They may have both have heard the words of Jesus Christ. But the hidden part which is the most important part of a home, is the foundation. And the foundation will be proven when the storms of life come. Friend, family, how do you do in the storms of life? When you deal with bankruptcy, when you deal with a loved one stabbing you in the back, when you're dealing with cancer or death or depression, what is your response? Does your whole world come crashing down and tumbling? Or is your home, though fearful, 
though going through the storm, standing on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. David Guzik says it's better that we test the foundation of our life now rather than later. Because at the judgment seat before God and Jesus Christ, it will be too late to change our destiny. Perhaps Jesus is pulling from Proverbs chapter 10, verse 25. When the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more. But the righteous has an everlasting foundation. From Proverbs even here to the New Testament. The decisions we make need to be founded in the Word of God. We need to make the active choice to not only be a hearer of Jesus Christ and His words, but to be a doer of Jesus Christ and His words, to be obedient to His will. We are being built up in Jesus Christ. He is the Word made flesh. So we need to make sure that we are being built up according to the will of the Father, and according to the word of the Lord and the desires of our Lord and Savior. Because our lives are not our own. Lord, how do you want to build me up? How do you want to edify me? What do you want my life to look like? Finally, verse 28 and 29. So it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Astonished today would be their minds were blown at his teaching. Their minds were blown at his teaching. Whoa, can you believe that sermon we just heard? Jesus spoke with an authority that the multitudes had not seen, even within the high religious officials. Jesus spoke with a weight and power that their very souls are dependent on not only hearing his word, but being obedient to it. The great warning here to us is, remember, family, it is not enough to hear his word and be astonished by it. It's not enough to hear his word and take a step back and say, this is a hard saying. We need to hear his word and do something about it. Be obedient to his word. Again, the final question is, does Jesus know you? Let's close in John chapter 10. I encourage you to turn there. Worship team, you guys can come up. John chapter 10, verse 13. We think of the false prophets. We think of the false teachers. We think of the false professors. And yet here in John chapter 10, 13, Jesus says, The hireling flees because he's a hireling. He does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, Calvary Chapel, Miami, them also I must bring in, and they will hear my voice, and there'll be one flock and one shepherd. You jump down to verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Friend, have you heard his voice this morning? 
If you have, I encourage you, follow him. Follow him. It's not enough to just hear his word. It's not enough to just hear his voice. We need to hear his word and his voice and then be obedient to it. So I encourage you, the pastors, they're going to come up front. They're going to be up front. I encourage us all, let's all stand. And we're going to close in worship. And if you don't know that you know that you know Jesus Christ, if perhaps your lips say that you know him, perhaps your great spiritual work you think says that you know him, but you have not heard his voice, you're not being obedient to his word, you're not fleeing from iniquity, I, I beg of you, come up front and just pray with one of the pastors. Just pray and say, hey, I want to know Jesus Christ and I want to make sure that he knows me. So Lord, thank you. Thank you that you've made a way to be known by you, the creator of heaven and earth, Lord. Thank you that when we pray, Lord, you know our needs before we even ask them, Lord. Lord, thank you that our prayer life, Lord, if the parents here know how to give good gifts, how much more our perfect heavenly Father knows how to give good gifts to those who ask him. So Lord, I just pray, may you be stirring within our hearts, Lord. For those who are being condemned by the enemy, Lord, pray that your still small voice calm them, Lord, and remind them, hey, I know you. I know you. And Lord, for those that perhaps this morning, Lord, they are make-believers, they've been deceived, perhaps they're even deceiving others, Lord, we pray, Lord, would you give them clarity of mind and heart Give them clarity of sight. Lord, give them ears to hear, Lord, that they would realize you do not know them, Lord. Lord, but today is that day of salvation, Lord. Today is that day that we can know that we know that you know us and that we know you. So, Lord, strengthen us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to not just be hearers of your word, to not just be good church attendees, Lord, but help us to be doers of your word. May our lives flow with the fruit of agape love. So Lord, we love you because you first loved us and we thank you, Jesus, for your gift and your death and your sacrifice for us. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.